My name is Justin LeClue, and I'm here today with Will Sloan. And I, we have a very special guest today. We're here today with Mallory Andrews. And who are you, Mallory Andrews? Uh, I'm a lady voice. I am the submissions editor for Cleo, which is an Wait online... a minute. Uh, we're not al- allowed to have women here. <laughs> no, we're not. Okay. So, this so is a I, very special So, I don't occasion. know. I'm, clearly, I'm going to have to lodge a complaint somewhere, but go ahead. <laughs> um, uh, I am the, the submissions editor for Cleo, which is an online journal of film and feminism. So, not just a woman, a feminist. So, it's just like compounding the problem. Though, that's like Will's one big <laughs> pet name on the internet. Um, and I'm also Mr. The... Red Pill over here. <laughs> Um, I'm also uh, one of the columnists of the Critics at Large column on Movie Mezzanine, which just means I do uh, the weekly new releases coverage. That sounds like you have a lot more credits than we do. So (laughs) I'm really glad that finally someone of authority is on this podcast. Yeah, I'm regretting this already. I I feel like we've been able to coast along, you know, just on on our goodwill and our laughs. And and on the fact that there's nobody here that's better than us. So you picked the subject, which is yeah. John Carpenter. Yes. And why did you pick John Carpenter? Um, I picked John Carpenter because I only just watched the majority of his movies last year. Mm-hmm. Um, before then, I'd only seen The Thing. Um, and the reason being, just sort of the reason in general, I didn't watch a lot of horror movies growing up because I was, and I think it's because I was the oldest in my family, so I didn't have an older sibling to sort of corrupt me with like cool stuff. And I just was not predisposed to horror at that, at the time. And so it's because it's now one of my favorite genres and it's sort of, I'm in a process of like trying to catch up to like all the great stuff that's, uh, that's, um, come out. And last year I was talking to somebody and um who in his one of his favorite filmmakers is john carpenter and you were like who's that i know well like i knew of him and it was sort of like in the back of my mind like oh i should like check out more of his stuff because i really liked the thing when i saw it and it just sort of came out uh we were just talking about him for whatever reason and i said oh like i've been like actually i've only seen one of his movies like i've been meaning to sort of catch up and it was like that you know when you when somebody says they haven't seen like your favorite thing and you're like oh my god drop everything and like get on that right now and it was just sort of like oh okay that's weird because a lot of times when i hear about people talk about john carpenter they're like oh he's really underrated you know, his work is underrated, which is like, what are you talking about? Well, actually, I kind of want to get to that because I was thinking today, looking at his movies, he's made at least six or seven movies that I really love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet I w- I've never really considered him in that top tier of, really? of favorite directors. I'm not quite sure why that is. Because again, like I've seen They Live a bunch of times. Uh, you know, Halloween is great. I think it might just be that there are kind of a lot of dodgy s- stuff in there. There uh, is, but like I can't. There's very few directors whose entire body of work where I'm like, yeah, this is great. Like, if there's enough where I'm like, wow, I love this movie, they will sort of be in the pantheon of directors where I'm like, no matter what, I will sort of give you the benefit of the doubt and I'll check out whatever you have to do. Because he quickly, like, I watched, I sort of did the, the letterbox thing where I, like, went and you can sort a director's movies by, like, popularity. So I'm like, this is probably a pretty good way to do it. Mm. And there's, like, quickly a handful that, like, are now in, like, my top movies ever, like Assault on Precinct 13. Oh, I love Assault on Precinct 13. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is my favorite of his because I just like a really like it's a really like tight no, story. I completely yeah. agree. I think that if someone said, "What's your favorite John Carpenter movie?" Memoirs you know, of an Invisible Man, the Chevy Chase classic. <laughs> yeah. But I think I would go Assault on Precinct Thirteen because I love siege films and, like you said, it's one of those examples of no money, uh, probably no time, and just doing something that's small and contained. Uh, yeah, and not a lot of like. There's not a lot of fat in that movie. Not a lot of characters like, oh, what's the right thing to do? Should we do that? Like, once it gets down to the actual siege, it's like, we're just going to do what we need to do to survive. And it's like, yes, like, great. 
Yeah, it's very um, unpretentious, not, no frills. Yeah, and it's like it's not one of those. Bullet. It's not one of those movies where you're screaming at the characters for making bad decisions, and the only reason they're making a bad decision is to generate drama. Like mm-hmm. it's it's sort of it's it's just so. It's almost a perfect movie, I think. I mean, when you talk about John Carpenter, one of the first things that comes to mind is that he's a very no-frills kind of guy. Well, I'm not 100% sure I'd agree with that. I mean, I th- but when you said about, like, compressed in the way that yeah. he tells his stories, at the same time, when you call him a horror director, I don't think he probably would like to be pigeonholed in that. Because if you look at his filmography, he's probably more of... He says his favorite genre of all time is westerns. And the way that Western stories are told, I mean, Assault on Precinct 13 is Rio Bravo. Mm-hmm. Or Big Trouble in Little, Little China yeah. sort of has a bit of a John Ford quality, <laughs> at least at least in Kurt Russell's central performance. I thought you were going to go with the obvious one in like Zoo Warriors or the Magic wow, Mountain and Joy yeah. Hark. Yeah. But at the same time, like his movies do so many different things. Like while people associate him with one style, like I saw the world premiere of The Ward at Toronto National oh. Film Festival. <laughs> you poor thing. And that movie fucking sucks. I saw that on uh, Netflix, where <laughs> where it belongs. And I remember at the time, people were like, oh, dude, it feels so much like a John Carpenter film, you know? And I'm like, I guess there's like a steady cam shot? Like, is that what you associate with John Carpenter? Yeah, it feels like Village of the Damned or, uh, um, I don't know. What. Vampires? I, you know what? I really liked Vampires. <laughs> I put that in that category of Carpenter movies I really like. Really? I remember absolutely nothing about it, but I just remember that That's I That's not really... one of them I've seen, but I've heard that it is underrated. Man, James Woods. It has that? an amazing 15, opening 15 minutes. And after that, it's terrible. Wasn't, uh, the, the ward was at TIFF and he was supposed to be there, but then he had jury duty. So Jury like... duty. They showed a video <laughs> and he looked like he was at a yacht club of some kind. So like they didn't like, even. When was the even... last time he showed up in person for any like oh, event like that? He's he goes playing his albums now. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh he, oh, he's on tour. Yeah. He's going on tour in North America. Just, just starting now. But Will, you're usually the biographer. Give us a little background on John Carpenter. Uh, I'm sorry, I was busy this week. I don't know. (laughs) I was hoping he would know. (laughs) So John Carpenter was one of the guys, the early people that came out of the film school environment. His first film that he co-directed was Dan O'Bannon, the guy who made Return of the Living Dead and was mostly known as a screenwriter, Dark Star. It's kind of a a parody of 2001 and is about a bunch of slackers on a spaceship. And it was all shot in the school on their own free time with basically garbage as props. I've never seen it. It's good. It is good because I feel like it's never quite reached the level of like super cult following that certain of his movies have. It's weird. Like it has a super duper special edition that you can get. It's like a two disc special edition with like a 90 minute documentary on it. But I think that may may come a little bit to the fact that John Carpenter has kind of distanced himself from it as opposed to someone like he says it's more of a Dan O'Bannon project Mm -hmm. because at the time um, John Carpenter and Dan O'Bannon who's also really famous for um, writing the story for Alien, the Ridley Scott film, um, got into huge disagreements, It's which is really well documented in the book uh, Shock Treatment. I don't know the book. You don't know the book? Sorry. Oh, well... Uh, sorry, I'm really like. Not <laughs> Will, what's going on this week? We I have a guest, I, and he's like, she'll do all the heavy lifting. Uh, you know, you're not wrong. I, I, I thought that three people would be here, and I thought, okay, put my feet up a bit. I'm throwing Will all the easy softballs he usually takes, and he's like, no, 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 what? Oh, oh my God, no. Um, and after that, he made Assault on Precinct 13, which was like a minor hit on the kind of like grindhouse circuit and the drive-in. And then and he has made, gained a following. Over which has gained a following. So. He made some TV movies. Uh, Elvis was Kurt Russell and Someone's Watching Over Me. And finally, he made Halloween. And Halloween, 
Arguably, other than Friday the 13th, the most popular slasher of all time, or the most well-known. Well, well it, mm. the movie that really started the slasher genre, I mean, you can say Psycho did, but this well, is the one that really had all the tropes I think, in it. like, um, Halloween along with Black Christmas sort of started those more modern tropes. Yeah, is that John Carpenter worked on Black Christmas, and he actually approached Bob Clark with the idea of, like, did you ever think of making a sequel set during Halloween? <laughs> Bob Clark was like, yeah, sure, you know, whatever, you can go do. And then probably when Halloween came out, he was like, god damn it. <laughs> I'm sure this is all very well documented, but keeping the will approach to this podcast, I did no research on it. Listen, I watched these movies again. So, Halloween. Boring film, right, guys? Oh, man. Uh, God, I gotta tell you, I really liked it. Whoa. I know, shocker. I think I saw this movie 10 years ago. It's one of those movies that, like, even though it's, you know, kind of an exploitation horror movie, it's ascended to the realm of canonical classic to the point where you kind of take it for granted. Mm. You think, oh yeah, Halloween, I get what that's about. But then I watched it again and I was thinking, geez, this movie, like, this is like a Dario Argento movie with none of the boring parts mm-hmm. and then just all the good parts. And it made me think, why did I waste so much of my life watching, watching, <laughs> watching other... Watching Dario Argento? Yeah, watching, <laughs> w- watching bad movies when I could have just been watching this again. Well, it's like, I remember you talked about this with John, about John Ford where you were like, I don't want to watch John Ford movies. Like, I know what those are about. Not realizing that like these are the good ones that you should go Mm -hmm. and watch how about you Mallory when you I guess you watch Halloween for the first time just in the last few years yeah like literally last year even though it was sort of the canonical horror film it just just wasn't on my radar or rather it was but I was like no I don't like horror Mm. I scare easily um (laughs) oh I scare easily too I watch (laughs) movies with my hands over my ears and I like to stare at the ground because when the scary part happens I tend to jump (laughs) I feel like at this point like I've I've over the years have figured out when the scary part is going to happen. But if, I know, if somebody, it doesn't matter though. It doesn't, like, I because know. Because it's the anticipation, even yes. when you know it's coming. There's, even though when there's I, always I, a part in the horror movie where if it's been a suspenseful moment and the person then turns around and looks at something off screen really quickly, then you know it's going to jump out at her. But it's not that I know, like, I know it's coming. That's why Knowing I cover my ears worse. and I look down. Yeah. It's not the shock that gets me. I, I don't know. I can't explain it. It's a weird way that I'm wired. I mean, look, I, I don't scare. <laughs> Will is the man without fear, just like Daredevil. <laughs> you just you feel nothing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Along with a lack of fear comes a lack of love and empathy. It's true. All right. Uh, so when um, you watched it, yeah, probably. when I watched it, and again, it was like with, with the idea, of, like it's one of the supposed to be one of the great horror movies of all time. It's sort of taking for granted that it's great, and I and I was like, okay, I need to go into this just with like a clear head and like judge it for the way it is. And I swear, like as soon as the opening credits came up, I was like, I love this movie, which is like a stupid reason to decide that you love a movie when it's like I love the font of the opening credits. I love the pumpkin, like the jack o' lantern. The opening credits announce what kind of movie it's going to be. Yeah, totally. like that, that it's going to be scary and fun. Yeah. Ex- uh, uh, it's going to have an energy to it. There's going to be a sense of humor yeah. to it. And yeah, I did fall in love with it, especially because um, it's a cast full of almost all women sort of fighting this thing. And and surprisingly not that exploitative in terms of like the kills. Like it's not a lot of sexually arranged dead bodies. But this is also one of those movies that really started that uh, tr- trope of having the sexually active girls die yeah. first. Which yeah. John Carpenter was like, what, what are you guys talking about? That, a- was, that was not 
any his indication of that movie at all. John Carpenter, the dude it's almost, who loves to sit back and toke up, and I assume have orgies. It, it's almost hard to believe that he didn't notice what he was doing. I mean, the Friday the Thirteenth movies obviously notice it, uh, mm-hmm. but like, what do you make of that? That's not just a trope. <laughs> that's not just a trope of horror movies. Like the idea of the um, sort of loose women being punished has sort of been present in Hollywood for as long as the mm-hmm. as long as the Hayes Code. I was least. hoping that you were going to be like, they deserved it. <laughs> These women. I think I would, if I'd watched this as a teenager, I would have, I would have really uh, identified with um, Laurie, with Jamie Lee Curtis's character, because I was like, that was totally me in high school. Now I'm more um, her curly-haired friend, <laughs> Annie, um, who's my favorite character now. But I doubt I would have questioned it back then that she was the one to survive, and I wouldn't have thought of it in terms of like sexual, uh, because she wasn't sexually active or just seemed to have zero interest at all in dating anybody, but just because like, oh no, she's smart and studious, like of course she'd know how to get out of it. Mm -hmm. Did either of you see the Friday the 13th remake from a few years ago? I did, yes. Yeah, Uh, do you remember in that movie it's the ones who aren't sexually active who die first? Oh, is that, and that would probably be a conscious choice. Like the nerdy dudes die first. I I wasn't quite sure what to make of that, it's like, I I, I, I guess at this point nobody's scared of sex anymore no i don't think so and i think that because it's become such a trope that it's like let's play against it hey. but also but also it's like it, it almost seems to be like poking at the fears of like the people who aren't having sex in the audience <laughs> like, Wait, yeah. so are you it's trying like, to say that like, yeah you, you obviously consciously made this realization and you're like i could be next <laughs> yeah yeah that's right because now it's scarier to die the thought of dying a virgin yeah i, mean, I actually <laughs> think i think so i think that's what the movie's saying yeah i mean if jim carrey's once bitten taught me anything <laughs> is that you need to have sex or you will be killed yeah we should uh, do a podcast on that movie. <laughs> we are not going to be doing that. Both of you feel that like the film doesn't show its age. Because I watched this movie with two people who were bored out of their mind by the film. It's, uh, I, don't think, I don't necessarily think it doesn't show its age. It's like steadily paced. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much of it is about, yeah, just the mood and atmosphere and the suspense of it. There's not a lot of blood and violence uh, or blood and uh, yeah, gore in the movie. I don't think there's like any gore, is Which there? I think is one reason why this movie was unusually critically acclaimed at the time. Uh, I, I feel like a lot of the sort of mainstream critics of the era kind of liked liked horror movies when there, there weren't a lot of disreputable things about them. Mm-hmm. Like, it's much more about atmosphere than it is the kills themselves. Like, mm-hmm. the majority of the kills, and I was, when I watched it, rewatched it this time around, um, I was sort of paying attention, like, how far into the movie do we get until we start getting those kills? It's like an hour. An yeah, hour it takes of, a long like, time. Yeah. And then it's that last half hour where everybody starts getting picked off. Whereas in a Friday the 13th movie, it's almost like pornography, where it's this uh, steady stream. Every, every few minutes, there'll be a kill. Well, you need the pre-credit kill, yeah. and then yeah. you need the kill of someone going to the camp. I mean, Halloween also, because the characters, while not like... I mean, can you remember every character that ha- appears in the Halloween films? In, the, in that one, at least you like them. Yeah. And they seem like relatable teenagers. And there's even scenes that seem superfluous, like, and just... Um, and I specifically think the um, the laundry room scene with Annie, that, like, nothing really happened. She gets stuck in the window after she goes in the laundry room, <laughs> after she, like, gets um, butter on her, on her clothes. It doesn't really go anywhere, and it's just sort of like a, a red herring to build tension, but it's a scene I really enjoy. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, I find it really funny. I find her performance, like, really funny. You're and Annie fan number one. I am Annie fan <laughs> number one. Um, and there's, like, little things about that scene, the fact that she's babysitting in somebody else's house, and she feels totally comfortable just stripping down her clothes, putting on, like, whatever shirt is lying around. Uh, isn't that what we all room. did when we babysitted? <laughs> 
Except for Will, he like was not I... allowed to babysit children. <laughs> um, I mean, I spilled plenty of shit on myself when I babysat, and I was just like, well, I'll just... It would never have occurred to me to like, oh, I gotta wash my clothes right now. Um, you mentioned the atmosphere, which is interesting because the film he, uh, John Carpenter made after Halloween, The Fog, is famous for that he shot it and he watched a rough cut and he went, ooh, this movie sucks. I need to add a lot more zombie ghosts in it. So he went and reshot three quarters of the movie to add more violence and tension, which is the same thing that happened with Halloween 2, which is that they uh, handed it over to Rick Rosenstahl a, a film student who ha- I believe hadn't made a feature film yet and when uh, the director handed it in the producer was like John Carpenter you need to shoot more gore for this film mm. so I don't know if you guys have seen Halloween 2 nope. but it's like mm. packed with like gory kills so it even feels more like a giallo because you do get that climax of like someone being boiled alive and stuff like that I think I've only seen one of the Halloween sequels uh, part 6 The Revenge of Michael Myers <laughs> did you see it when they played it at the movie theater yes I did <laughs> Um, so I, I'm not, I mean, I, and you saw the, uh, I think it's the not the theatrical cut. version. Yeah. yeah the, the, the and, I mean, cut. it was still bad. I, I, so bad. I, like I consider myself a connoisseur of the Friday the 13th series. Really? Why not the Halloween ones? Cause there's, there's something about the sheer artlessness of the Friday the 13th series that I kind of like. <laughs> and I also like the Friday the 13th series in its second half just got steadily more ridiculous. Like every movie would have a new gimmick, like, you know, went to New York uh, or <laughs> they fought, fought Carrie, fought Carrie <laughs> or yeah. Um, so, but are any of the sequels good? Um, I mean, they're all... Oh, I've seen the Rob Zombie remake. I mean, the thing about the Halloween sequels is they're all very samey feeling, except for part three, which is not related to any of them, Season of the Witch. But like four, five, six, they introduce these like cult uh, members. I mean, you saw part six and how yeah. lame that was. So. <laughs> yeah. And isn't there like a supernatural element yeah. with Mike Myers, which sort of like, I was surprised. I always forget how much like suggestion of supernatural is in the first movie. Yeah, well, like he's, he's like he's of, like pure evil, right? That's yeah, the like, idea and it's like that... his like his ability to like disappear, and uh, <laughs> but it, and it's but it's like little things like that, and like it just sort of like and they never explain it in this movie. Thank God. Yeah, like I was sort of surprised by that, and then I've read like ahead to the rest of the series. I'm like, oh, they actually like go into some of. Like, yeah, that's that the thing with like, any kind of series that spans eight movies. Let's is just like, explain. Let's the just book explain out of it. Yeah. why the like in part six, like Michael Myers has sex with. His, I think his sister, and then I actually she have no memory of this. Was that in the version I saw? Yes, it was. Oh. Or it was implied in the version that you saw. So John Carpenter, after making Halloween, um, he went and did a whole bunch of crazy stuff. And most famously is probably Escape from New York and The Thing. Sure. And like you mentioned, you saw The Thing and you really loved it. Yeah. What, what is your opinion of Escape from New York, though? Uh, I actually haven't seen that one. Oh, good one. How about um, Escape from L.A.? Even <laughs> better. Um, I've seen most of the majors, but I sort of, I've like sort of saved the Escape films. I don't know why. For a rainy day. For a rainy day. You're gonna be like. Um, ah, oh, Kurt I know Russell. what happened. I was saving the Escape movies because there was uh, they were playing Escape from New York at the Lightbox. I was like, oh, I'll just go see that, and then I ended up missing that screening, and then I've just not gotten around to it yet. Uh, how about Ghosts of Mars? I love Ghost of Mars. I've never I seen it. I really want to see Ghost of Mars because I've heard it's like Assault on Precinct 13. It, it looks, is. It looks kind of fun and it's got Ice Cube in it. I, I saw know. Ghost of Mars. Have you not seen it? No, I've never seen it. Oh my God. So this is going to be uh, the podcast where I pitch you guys Ghost of Mars. <laughs> yeah. So did you guys like New Metal in 2000? Uh, I was a little young for it. Because you know who loved New Metal? John Carpenter. Because <laughs> this movie is filled with it. And it, he, I guess it's he wrote the music, right? Uh, yeah, he did. Okay. And it's all like guitar. Like... <laughs> Do you like fades? Do you like people entering a room and it fading to them in the middle of the room and then fading to them closer to the camera? Because this movie is filled with them. I remember when the movie came out and it just it just looked like something that was like, why would anybody make, make <laughs> or see this? 
but now but now i'm like growing on the idea of seeing it i want to see it it looks yeah it looks charming all right well i know a movie that both of you watched because we watch it for this podcast they live yes now this is what a classic would you consider it like most people when you say they live when they're like you know movie fans they know what you're talking about yeah gee is classic i mean I'm tempted to say that it's not a masterpiece, but then again, I actually think it is a perfect movie for what it's trying to do. Really? You think it's a perfect movie? Well, I mean... For what it's trying to do. For for the movie that it is, would you change anything about it? Uh, It, it, I find the first act pretty slow. Mm. Yeah, but but it it establishes the world that Rowdy Roddy Piper lives in. This, This world where the working classes have no have no union protection and <laughs> and drift from uh, crappy job to crappy job while the rich get richer so for people who don't know what they live is and come on you should know what they live is it is like the most popular internet meme on the internet it's about Roddy Roddy Piper the wrestler plays a down on, piece <laughs> he plays a down on his luck um, I guess drifter mm-hmm. yes. who uh, finds a magical pair of glasses that allow him to see that all the rich people are aliens. And then when he, whenever he looks at an ad, it will say something like consume or obey <laughs> or uh, procreate. Yeah. Or my favorite, the money. This is your God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I mean, they live, like I said, I find the first act kind of slow that when it picks up, it's amazing. Roddy Roddy Piper puts on the glasses and his first decision is just to start killing people. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, there's, I, um, I'm not hundred percent a fan of that performance. Mm. Um, I find him quite lovable. I, yeah. Yeah, I'm not, and I wonder if this is not a symptom of, like, just me having watched it so recently. Like, if I feel like this is a movie I would have, like, loved to death if I'd grown up with it, mm-hmm. um, which is why I still, like, have affection for it, but I'm a little more critical of that performance. But I like the idea of that character being a drifter, not only sort of being out of the loop in terms of um, um, having disposable income, so he's not really, like, a somebody who's going to be targeted by the ads in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um and just his ham-fisted way of just dealing with the problem. Like <laughs> which you is said, just yeah, walking into a bank yeah. and starting to shoot people. And like, you've got to be pretty, like, pretty predisposed to wanting to shoot up a bank in the first place if that's all it takes to just get you to do it. <laughs> he, he's not a great actor by traditional standards, but he has a certain presence. He, he uh, has charisma. And, just like a Marlon Brando, right? <laughs> uh, exactly like Marlon Brando. And, and, I mean, having spent so many years as a wrestler, I mean, wrestlers are actors, and, mm-hmm. and they have to command a camera uh so he brings something to it i also like the fact um have you read jonathan latham's book about this i did movie? i really like jonathan latham jonathan latham uh, wrote a book going through this movie scene by scene and he makes the case for the fact that this is a movie about the working class uh, from a working class perspective that doesn't have any sort of ironic distance from it so like it, it stars a pro wrestler and it's uh has dumb fight scenes uh and it has dumb kind of action movie stuff the the effect would somehow be different if there were you know robert redford or somebody playing mm-hmm. the main the main character now mind you i'm firmly a member of the middle class and i'm talking about this so so <laughs> like please so, so of course i'm gonna sound condescending saying this isn't this nice that john carpenter made a movie for the <laughs> for, for, the for, for, for the lower classes <laughs> people who are lower than me uh, yeah. But but at the same time, uh, I feel like the movie when it gets more into the action stuff, that's 
a little bit where it suffers too is that the action scenes are kind of generic. I don't know if we're going to agree on this. You don't mm. like the fight scene? Oh, I love the fist fight. It's the <laughs> gunfights that get me. Where John Carpenter's way that he shoots them is kind of like, they run into a room, they fire, there's close-ups of guns. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I think I'm just so on the movie side by that point. <laughs> that you just want to see Roddy Roddy Piper just blow everybody away? Should we say what the fist fight is for the people who inexplicably haven't seen this movie? <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a fist fight that was parodied in South Park in its prime. It's iconic. It's Rowdy Roddy Piper uh, meets his friend from the construction site played by, what's his name? Keith, Keith da- David. Yeah, Keith David. Uh, and he says, you've got to check out these glasses. You've got to put on these glasses and see what's really going on. He says, no, I'm not putting on those glasses. And then he keeps, they break into a fight where they keep punching and punching and punching each other until, and Keith David keeps refusing to put on the glasses over and over and over again. <laughs> To just an absurd, absurd any any rational person would <laughs> would just put on the glasses at, at some point. I don't know, but like it's kind of like one long metaphor for the process of becoming woke. This is going to make our <laughs> podcast go viral. <laughs> what do you mean, Mallory? This um, is what the kids love. Um, it's, it's just this idea of like your the wool has been pulled off your eyes, and you're suddenly seeing the world's bullshit for what it is. But like the the world is sort of designed to sort of make you blind to that. Um, with various distractions um, and uh, they live renders that pretty um, literally with you know ads and mm-hmm. money and yada yada I like the fact that the political commentary in this movie has no nuance I know I, like, I, I actually once accidentally made a they live reference in a piece that I wrote without completely without realizing because it's such a base simple did message. you write obey it was like it was uh, sort of a, in the preamble of a piece on um, murals. I was talking about billboards, and mm-hmm. it was like billboards just tell you to like obey, consume, blah, 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 blah. and yeah. somebody was like, "Oh, great, they live reference." I was like, "What?" <laughs> like, so yeah, so it's like it's a pretty basic um, um, message. Like, the, you but, know, th- this movie uh, coming out at the time when Reagan was president, you know, yeah. Re- Reaganomics, the unions are being gutted, et cetera, et cetera. Check Wikipedia. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, what, what I like about the movie is it doesn't, it doesn't entertain the notion that both sides have something to say. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like the aliens are just like, evil and they're exploiting I feel, I feel like in our political discourse, we're obligated to have the, the good faith that, well, we all really care about what's America at the end of the day, and we're just coming at it from two different angles. When in reality, Donald Trump doesn't really give a shit about what's happening in America. All he cares about is him getting more money. Yes. Yeah. Um, but going back to that fight, just Keith David's resistance is sort of like it's it's like when you see like a Twitter fight between two people where one person is like, "Oh, this thing is racist," and the other person like, "No, it's not." And it's and it's that like <laughs> the person doesn't who is arguing that no, everything's fine. Like I don't know why you're seeing this problem here. Is like because it's easier to like not acknowledge that there's a problem than mm-hmm. it is to sort of once you know once you see the problems you see it everywhere, which is what happens to Keith David after he puts on the glasses. He's like can't take them off. Because it's just so like stunned by what he sees, which is also what happens like after you sort of after you become woke, it's like you see the, you see problems everywhere, and um, like a knife turning in your brain. I just like it when people punch each other. <laughs> so good fight after a long it day at work. Fight. I like to turn off my brain and watch <laughs> um, Batman punch Superman. <laughs> now I didn't relook this up uh, before doing this podcast, but I think the first time I watched They Live, I read this that this fight was sort of um, sort of choreographed by on the spot by Keith David and I thought you were gonna say Yu and Wu Ping. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, oh, that it was choreographed on the set and they kind on of the set with through. the actors. Yeah, they sort of work through the blocking like 
as they were there. Fights like these you see in movies now, they're so like a little bit too elegant, whereas this is very much like two gigantic men just wailing on each other. Carpenter on the Blu-ray says that one of his motivations for it was just that like this is a movie with a pro wrestler. We ought to have a, yeah. a wrestling match in it. I also like the comedy beats in it. Like when he uh, he hits keith david's car and they just have this like oh shit sorry (laughs) but then keith david goes to like hit the bottle to make it into a weapon and it just breaks too much so he just like tosses it on the ground (laughs) yeah yeah does everyone like the romance between uh rowdy rowdy piper and meg foster (laughs) crazy eyes yeah (laughs) meg foster um that was a joke you don't have to answer that It was it any surprise that she was working for the aliens? Her eyes are crazy. Like her <laughs> those eyes, are, those are her actual those eyes. Are her actual oh, eyes. you know what my favorite part of this movie is? Right at the end when they turn on Siskel and Ebert, and you see that <laughs> Siskel and Ebert are aliens, and one of them goes, uh, one of them goes, directors like John Carpenter are just exploiting <laughs> sex and violence. John Carpenter is really sticking it to the man, isn't he? Just like Roland Emmerich did in Godzilla. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> where the mayor with was Ma- called Mayor Ebert. <laughs> You know what I, I like in that movie is when at the very end of the movie, uh, his assistant Siskel says to him, you know what? I give your campaign thumbs down. <laughs> so do you think uh, John Carpenter has any good work left in him? No. No, neither Absolutely. Uh, not like, well, I mean, music, music perhaps. Yeah, maybe. But, yeah, I mean, like the thing about John Carpenter is I love his scores, but he's been, he'll be the first one to say that he just improvises them when he watches the movies. And once you get a bunch of his scores, you're like, okay, yeah, I get it. It's kind of <laughs> like a warm blanket, but you're never going to be but like, But like Whoa! every good composer like um, copies themselves or like starts to sound similar. Like James Horner straight up uses yeah, the well, exact James same. Yeah, well, James Horner is... is R.I.P. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I really hope John Carpenter doesn't die tomorrow. <laughs> like, this is the, the podcast. But then we'll go viral. But the thing is, like, it, no, feels, we won't. <laughs> it feels like John Carpenter just doesn't want to do it anymore from the way that he talks and that a lot of the projects that he wanted to make. Like, I learned uh, that Village of the Damned, which is not a good movie, starring Mark Hamill and Christopher Reeves, mm-hmm. Superman, um, for people that didn't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For all those, what is this? Sounds off. Oh, also, R.I.P. <laughs> yeah, jeez. Oh. So I had a thought that I was going to share before we got Hamill track, <laughs> which was that Village of the Dam was a movie that uh, John Carpenter made because he wanted to make a remake of Creature of the Black Lagoon, hmm. which was his passion project. And when Village of the Dam, which he did only as like a contractual obligation, tanked, they were like, "Okay, you can't make Creature." Of the, of the Black Lagoon. And it feels like if Carpenter can't make those passion projects, the same thing happened with Big Trouble in Little China. When that bombed, it tanked the Buckaroo Banzai Big Trouble uh, sequel that was supposed to happen. Wait a minute. I didn't know about this. You never heard about that? They were going to do a crossover? Yeah, they were going to do a crossover. Wow. Because the same writer... Um, wrote Buckaroo Banzai did a draft of Big Trouble in Little China. Too beautiful for this world. (laughs) Is that like, I feel like all these missed opportunities for John Carpenter, he's reached the point where he's just like, I don't care. And you can see it in The Ward. Yes. And also in his two episodes of Masters of Horror, uh, Pro-Life and Cigarette Burns, both of which I saw and thought, boy, if he'd made these in the 70s, they would have been really good. But but now just lifeless old John Carpenter (laughs) draining it of any energy. Because we just have such a culture now of just, like, picking everything apart for one thing. Like, not only can he not get his projects made, even if he did, it's just, like, what kind of reception are they going to get? We're going to get, like, the think piece. You'll get your honest trailers. Yeah, (laughs) you'll get the honest trailers. You'll get, like... You think that because the films that John Carpenter make are so kind of... I use the word simple in the nicest way. Just straightforward. That they couldn't survive in, like, today's... 
Well, I think um, the his more um, straightforward, like muscular films mm-hmm. could the survive. Howard Hawks inspired the Howard ones. Hawks inspired one. But stuff like Big Trouble and In the Mouth of Madness, which is just like it's a really creative film full of a lot of ideas that I find really interesting to watch. I'm not sure how they would play today. Throw all those plebes in the audience, yeah. right, Will? Yeah. John Carpenter goes and makes a nice movie like They Live for the working classes. And what, do, <laughs> what do they do for him? Nothing. They reject him. Because after um, Big Trouble in Little China, John Carpenter really didn't have any more financial successes. Um, it was kind of downhill from there. Yeah, it's too bad. Not even uh, not even the Chevy Chase uh, box office gravy train could deliver. I mean, like, look at his filmography. Ghost of Mars, Vampires, Escape from L.A., Village of the Damned, In the Mess of Madness, Memoirs of the Invisible yeah, Man. That, that's bleak. Memoirs of an Invisible Man is a movie that I watched uh, 20 minutes of on, I think, Netflix one time. Fell asleep. Never got back to it. I've been meaning to check that one out because it used to show up in all the, like, special effects books. It's, oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, uh, and it was always in the back, like, reading those books when I was little. I was like, that movie, I want to see that. That looks so cool. I um, have a general yeah. fondness for kind of sad, waning Chevy Chase. Like, give me nothing but trouble. Give me the Chevy Chase show. I love it. Nothing but trouble. Uh, God. Delight. <laughs> More like nothing but fun. <laughs> Where's our Chevy Chase episode? We can do it next right week Right after if you the want. Mark Hamill one. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I have a soft spot for Memoirs of the Invisible Man. I watched it and I was like, look at these wham, bam, special effects. Wow. I was e- very easily. They do look pretty, like it is pretty um, interesting the way they did that. And it's kind of weird because if you look at John Carpenter's filmography, if you look at IMDb, there's all the short films that he made. He made like Gorgo versus Godzilla and like <laughs> all these other kind of space films, which are movies that he never really did in his career. Like, I feel can you like imagine your a John Carpenter student films shouldn't be on IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine if John Carpenter would have made like a Godzilla movie? Oh, it would have been great. You think so? Well, I mean, like if he made it before 1985. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Any final thoughts on John Carpenter? Um, good dude, like him a lot. He's made some good <laughs> movies, some bad movies. Uh, I think when you make a movie some with movies Chevy I like, Chase, some there's movies no I don't turning like, yeah. back. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'd love it if he had one more good film in it or even just one more film like just the idea of going to the theater to see a new john carpenter yeah. Uh, yeah. Justin, <laughs> justin's been burned yeah. uh, what are we doing next week we haven't even thought about it Troy hark yeah let's do it uh hong kong director extraordinaire known as the steven spielberg of hong kong um he directed all the famous hong kong movies you know once upon a time in china uh, Black Mass 2. <laughs> Zoo Warriors of the Magic Mountain. Which inspired Big Trouble in Little China. Knock Off with Rob Schneider and Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> and I think what we'll be watching will be Peking Opera Blues. Sure. Which is one of his more famous films. Which weirdly doesn't have that much North American crossover. And we'll be watching his third film which is called Dangerous Encounters of the Third Kind. A.K.A. Don't Play With Fire. Which was his reaction to his first two films failing miserably, and is about a group of students that love bombing cinemas. Okay, so Black Mass Two, City of Masks. <laughs> yeah, Great. Black Mass Two, City of Masks. And I'd like to thank Mallory very much for coming on and talking John Carpenter with us. Uh, thank you for having me. Even though Will just embarrassed you left and right. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything you want to plug? Yes. Um. Yeah, a new issue of Cleo is coming out in what month are we in? It's coming out in April. Uh. Um, I, just, I actually had to think about that for a minute. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were like, ugh, another issue no, of Cleo. No, I, I was like, oh, what month is it? Oh, okay. Uh, new issue of Cleo coming Who out. Um, Who am I? That's the big thing. Oh, and my column on Movie Mezzanine every other Friday. We came here to kick ass <laughs> and chew bubblegum. And it looks like we're 
All out of bubblegum. Yeah. Wait, do you want us to finish it? Like, I was trying, did you forget I, what the line no, was? No, I was trying to think. I it, think could, it's could, the other... could, could I like alter the quote to be something more relevant to us? But maybe, maybe it's it would time be, to watch the movie. It would probably be. It would probably actually be disrespectful to the poetry of uh, Carpenter and Piper's dialogue. My name is Will Sloan. My name is Justin Clue. And I'm Mallory Andrews. Thanks for listening. Man, we really had trouble finishing. You know what, I, before you go ahead, I love Mark Hamill's appearance in that movie because he has this basically bit part role where he's in the background of a lot of scenes. He's like the town priest or something. Yep. And it's so weird to have Mark Hamill in a movie and then just have him not do anything because his presence is so distracting. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, even though I never watched any John Carpenter when I was young, I was obsessed with Mark Hamill because I loved Star Wars. Oh, okay, and I think we so might I, have had the same childhood here. Did you like memorize I his every, filmography? Yeah, I, I've, I've seen a stunning amount of Mark Wait, Hamill you guys films. big like Guyver and Cadillac Summer have you fans? Seen, uh, Cadillac, have you uh, seen Corvette Ta- Summer? Time, Corvette How summer. about Time Runner? Yep. Okay. I remember um, back in the days of TV Guide and uh, before um, you could record things or just download whatever you want. I remember, oh, I must have been like 12 or 13 and like looking through the um, from TV. Mark Hamill movies no I was just like looking through the TV guide just because that's what you did when you wanted to see what was on TV and I saw like oh my god Time Runner's on TV in the middle of the night so like I got up in the middle of the night just to watch Time, Time Runner was Runner. a blockbuster and it was rated R so I couldn't see it so I just stare long and wait at the box <laughs> Blockbuster also had... There's uh, a really crazy subplot. Have you seen it? No, I still haven't. Oh, he goes back in time to uh, make sure that he is born is... Oh, so it's kind of like the Terminator in a way? Sort of. I just vaguely remember that like he goes back in time and meets his own pregnant mother and there's a whole thing. Oh, wow. Okay, I'll check it out. I have one last thing I want to <laughs> say about Mark Hamill. <laughs> okay, did, it's fine. It's a Mark Hamill pod. You can... Did you ever see uh, The Flash 2, Revenge of the Trickster? It was a direct-to-video movie that they edited together from two episodes of The Flash. He plays the trickster in it, and he wears this skin-tight leotard that like shows off his package. Uh, <laughs> and he's like so, so animated. I was so fascinated by that movie as a kid because he was so kind of over the top and comic giving a very Jim Carrey sort of performance yeah. and he's still giving and it in the new package. Flash <laughs> and in the new Flash TV show yeah. he still plays a trickster the yeah. one that came out this year he's, he's just back. kind of a delight if you follow him on Twitter he's just like a seems just like a sweet dude yeah like, too bad about his acting Oh. Anyway. Wow. I don't know, man. Yeah, geez. This is uh, where Mallory and Will are going to come head he, to head. I know. He looked dope at the end of Force Awakens, though. Yeah. 